Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. My name is Jeff Luddington. I'm the lead pastor at Generations Church, and this podcast typically has a co-host, but Rob Samuelson is going to take the day off, and I'm going to fly solo. Uh, We're in a series called Questions from the Classroom. Both Rob and I teach Bible at a local Christian high school, and we've compiled a series of questions from those high school students. When I look at these questions, I see questions that adults today typically have in the church. And so what we've found is some of those questions that young people ask never get answered. And so uh, here's the background and why I'm flying solo today. I had a psychology teacher at the high school ask if I could provide a biblical perspective on transgenderism. Now, it's a psychology class, and the class was going to read an article by a, psycho- by a psychologist that was pro-transgender, giving the psychology behind transgenderism in our culture today. And so I got to come in and provide a biblical perspective of what Christianity or the church believes about transgenderism. And so in this classroom, here is what I got to talk about. And there's three things that I want everybody listening to know, and I shared with the class, and it's that A couple months ago, I had lunch with a good friend of mine, one of my close friends, and he has a daughter who was born, uh, she's 16, and uh, uh, she was born Bella about 16 years ago. September, I think, was her birthday. And now, Bella today identifies as Michael, is uh, now identifying as a male, and is taking testosterone to become more masculine. And so... This is a conversation that isn't just theory for me. This is something that resonates in my real life. This really does happen all around us. And if you're listening from somewhere else, we're in Southern California, right on the outskirts of Long Beach in the greater Long Beach area, where the LGBT community is large. And so this is, again, not theory, but everyday life in this area. The second thing is I have an uncle who is a monk. I lovingly refer to him as my uncle. And uh, he identifies as gay, still self-identifies as gay, meaning he is attracted to other men, that sexually that is his orientation. But he is committed to celibacy. He lives his life. He just took monastic vows, uh, permanent vows, as a monk. One of those vows is celibacy. And he came to monasticism. In other words, he became a monk during a time where he was wrestling with his sexual orientation and what the Bible said about it. He came to the conclusion that the Bible did not allow for him to live out his attraction towards men. And so monasticism became a great way for him to live out his faith and uh, kind of help him in the sense of not pursuing that. Uh, And so three, I, I also wrote a book called Frustrated, How the Bible Resolves Life's Tough Questions. I did so because I think the church does not address these issues very well, but scripture addresses these issues very well. And my frustration is with the church giving hollow answers or simple answers to complex problems. And so a couple guidelines for a biblical worldview. First off, a biblical worldview must deal with everything that scripture says, not just one verse or another. A biblical worldview also, number two, must be shaped by scripture, not culture. It can't be shaped by what the world thinks, but rather what God has revealed in scripture. Finally, a biblical worldview cannot be what I think or I feel 
or I experience. Same thing with you. You feel, you think, you experience. It can't be shaped by our external circumstances. It must, again, be shaped by Scripture. Now, terms psychologically around this conversation, sex, sex has to do with DNA or biological identity at birth, right? Gender is typically a synonym or used to be a synonym, but now has more to do with how I feel. It's the assumption about one per, how, what, what a person chooses or feels or identifies with internally. And so sex and gender are often disconnected. Now I'm going to use them interchangeably today, but understand that culture is identifying those as different. And of course, sexual orientation is an attraction uh, towards one uh, or both genders. Now, I started this conversation with this psychology class. I did these two psychology classes, actually. Um, And I wanted to start on something we agree with. And we all agree that racism is wrong, right? Not asserting anything about our culture today or just saying that racism is wrong, right? Now, let me kind of back up on that and, and reverse engineer that. The reason we say, or the reason that I say racism is wrong is because God created all of us and that we're all created with an inherent dignity that is by birth or by creation because God made us, because we're made in the image of God, whether we're black or white or you know, young or old or whatever, that we, we all have this inherent equality or equity, right? And so because of our faith, we believe looking at somebody and, and, and uh, treating them based on their color or skin color, ethnic or language or whatever it might be, we say that's wrong. Now, if there is no God, and if man was a random chance accident of, you know, hist- of, of science and history, right? If evolution, macroevolution actually exists, there would be no reason to say that racism is wrong. In fact, I could assert that racism would be or possibly could be correct. If one species of humanity grew to be stronger than another, became better than one another, then you could see where racism is a natural outcome. But racism is, racism is wrong because we are created by a god, a God that created us and loves us and made us equal. So my position today, my thesis, if you will, on transgenderism is that the biblical position is that both biological sex and gender are tied together from creation. That's called ontologically, right? From design, they're put together. And that gender dysphoria is addressed in scripture as a need to be reconciled in the gospel. So first, there are two genders as created by God. Genesis talks about creation. Genesis chapter 1 says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So male and female, plural, two, not, not more, not interchangeable, right? Verse 28 in, that, uh, in chapter 1 says God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So there's this sense of biological creation, sex and gender, right, that there's also this uh, being able to create or, or procreate, right, have children, that all that is built together by design for God. Now, Genesis 2, the next chapter, talks about, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. And so we start to see some gender roles identify, male, female, husband, wife, two sexes, two gender roles, that they're also created by God. Now, here's what's super important. All this that we're reading right now is before sin enters into human history, right? The idea of sex, the idea of gender, these created ontological purposes for humanity, all are made before sin enters into human history. Now, the reason I highlight that is because sin is what breaks everything. 
And so we get this idea that this was made and this is right and this is good, but then we have to ask, okay, well, what went wrong, right? Now remember, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. That's the end of Genesis 2. A few verses later in Genesis chapter 3, it says, when the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes. The tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's the first sin, right? And it goes on to say, and the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so here's what we get. Before sin enters into human history, man and woman are both naked, unashamed. They live in the world. There are animals. There's each other. There's God. And they're all good. All is good. All is well. There's a design and plurality. Uh, there's these two, these two sexes, excuse me, and there are genders and roles attached to them. But then sin enters into human history, and the very first effect we get to see written about in Scripture is an internal brokenness. Now, here's what I mean. They're naked and unashamed five minutes earlier, and then they sin, and all of a sudden, they're ashamed. They're, they're naked. They're trying to cover themselves up. Now, imagine the world they live in. All the animals, the same. Five minutes earlier, before sin, five minutes later, after sin. The humans on earth are just two. Five minutes earlier, still the same two. Five minutes after sin, the same two. Unashamed before sin, ashamed after sin, self-conscious, wrong, broken inside because of sin. And so what I'm saying here is the first effect of sin is internal, not external. So consider many of the things that humanity goes through. Depression, that's internal, it's not external, right? Image issues and eating disorders stem from something internal, not external. You can look at somebody who is struggling with an image issue or eating disorder, and you can look at it and say, but you're beautiful, or you're too skinny. They don't see that. There's something internal that's brokenness, right? So all these things we can kind of identify as inside of us, whether it's an anger issue, depression issue, an image issue. A sexual attraction is something internal, not external. And a gender identity is internal, right? And so what we see is in the first effect of sin, we see humanity broken inside, not outside. So I can easily see the struggle with gender dysphoria, transgenderism, as an internal brokenness, right? Something that we all share in, we all have internal brokenness. Mine might be different than the next person's, or mine might be different than the one who struggles with gender dysphoria. But still, what we see is an internal brokenness. Now, to be specific, does the Bible have commands about changing either your sex or your gender role? And the answer is yes. And so after sin enters into human history and this disconnect between what's inside and what's outside, this brokenness internally that all humanity suffers in, what we see is this struggle around gender and sex. And so in Deuteronomy 22, it says, a woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And so there's a clear command about blurring the gender lines, taking someone who is sexually male and having them live life as the gender of a female, right? Dressing in such a way. Now, bear in mind, this is long before surgery for transgenderism or, you know, sex reassignment, things like that. First Corinthians in the New Testament says, judge for yourselves, is it proper for a wife to pray with her head uncovered? 
so it's it's a cultural thing about prayer, praying like a woman, praying like a man. That's kind of what it's talking about. It goes on and says, does not nature itself teach you that if a man wears his hair long, it is a disgrace for him. But if a woman has her hair long, it is for her glory, for her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. So very cultural, right? Men have long hair today, and it doesn't mean they look feminine. I mean, that's sometimes that's a kind of a rock thing that's kind of birthed out of the 60s, long hair on men. And, you know, sometimes women have short hair. That doesn't mean they're butch. They can be short hair and, and, and look feminine. But it is culturally, a couple thousand years ago when this was written, it was very cultural for a woman to have long hair and look feminine. If she cut it short, she was trying to look masculine and vice versa for men. And so this was speaking into that culture of trying to be a gender that you're not or you know, look like the sex that you weren't born with. And so again, the biblical position is that both biological sex and gender are tied together from creation. And that gender dysphoria is addressed in Scripture as a need to be reconciled in the gospel. So what I mean by that, all internal brokenness, just like we saw with Adam and Eve as they sin and then something inside them breaks, that thing there is the impact of sin. Now it goes on and and they begin to blame each other, their marriage is struggled, they hide from God, their relationship with their creator is struggled, and, and humanity goes on to carry all those things out, in fact, get worse, right? The next generation of two sons, one brother kills another. And so we see this spiral out of control. But the very first impact we see before even the relational damages are done between one another and God is a relational damage done inside of ourselves. And I think we all, everybody listening to this knows some of what that feels like. You've struggled with maybe a depression, maybe an anger, maybe an identity around sex or gender. Whatever it is, we've had that internal brokenness. We all know what it, what it is, what it means, what it feels like to feel disconnected with the world that we were created to be in. The brokenness comes when sin enters into human history, and so we're all born under that. The antidote, the antidote, the fix, if you will, the healing comes through the gospel, where Jesus, God becomes flesh, lives the life that we're called to live and dies a death in our place to cover our sin, raises from the grave to give us new life, ascends back to heaven to fill us with his spirit, and that if anyone is in Christ, the Bible says he is a new creation, right? That we are made new and we're being remade back in that created, ontological, designed version of us. And it's a slow process. We, we have to go through it, live through it, change and be transformed through it. Now, on this, we've, we've answered other questions in the questions uh, uh, from the classroom series. We've answered questions about, can you be a Christian and be gay? Can you be a Christian and be pro-choice? In other words, be for abortion. And one of the things that I think stood out about those episodes is at the end of answering, you know, how sexual orientation is defined in Scripture and, and, and what we are called to, or when life is defined uh, in, inside the mom at conception, then we ask the questions about advocacy. Can you advocate for something, uh, any given topic? And in this case, can you advocate for transgenderism? Now, the world we live in is absolutely, at least in America, is absolutely advocating for the rights of young children and others to be the gender they feel like, not the one they were assigned at birth. And so if we see 
biological sex, meaning two sexes, not, not more, not less, right? But two sexes as created by God. And that gender, the roles that those two sexes have assigned and tied to, the gender and sex tied to each other from birth. Then we have to say you can't advocate for something other than that. You, you can't advocate to change your gender or your sex. And, and again, sex is DNA. Sex is, you know, XX chromosome for women, XY for men. You, you can't change that. You can have reassignment surgery, but what you're really doing is cosmetic changes. You're changing the exterior of your body, but remember, the exterior of Adam and Eve's body when sin entered into human history isn't what was wrong with them. There's an internal brokenness that is trying to be met. And in those cases, it's trying to be met outside of the gospel. And so I remember having that lunch with my friend, and I just asked a question near the end of our time together. Like, are you prepared if testosterone or surgery doesn't fix what's broken inside? Right? It was just, it was just a question, like, are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for if this isn't the answer? Now, as a church, what do we advocate for? The church has tendencies. Either we advocate for people, that's the more typically liberal churches. We advocate for what they desire or what they feel like they need. Or on the conservative church end, we advocate for right or wrong. Well, God created gender. God created sex. It's either right or wrong, black or white. But as we talked about in the prior episodes about same-sex attraction or abortion, we have to not only advocate for what's right, but we have to advocate for people. Now, I can't possibly advocate for a person who wants to change their gender, meaning advocate for them to be able to do it. But I need to stand up for people that are struggling with that, for people that are struggling with, and I'll use the example again. So if a young girl shows up in a crisis pregnancy, she is pregnant and not capable of raising a child, there's a crisis in her family, I not only need to tell the parents or, or the young woman, what's right or wrong about is that a life and is abortion right or wrong? I would say it is a life and that abortion is taking that life. So no, don't do that. But I need to advocate for that young woman too. The church needs to rise up in those moments and, and stand beside, walk with families. And we're not very good at that. The churches are typically either ignore the right wrong side and just advocate for whatever the person wants, or this is sin, that's sin. And they don't walk with people. So same thing, transgenderism. When people show up and and internally they're hurting and broken, and they don't identify with the gender that their biology says, and they're walking through this, the answer is there are some right and wrongs. There are some things God has made. There are some things that are sin. But even more importantly, God loves the broken. You see, after that first effect of sin internally happens, and then the relational breakdowns, Adam blames his wife, and Adam actually blames God, and, and, and all those things take place, God steps in, and he begins to reconcile humanity to himself. He provides for them and walks with them through their brokenness. The church isn't very good at that today. They're not very good at, our church, the church in America, isn't very good at walking with hurting people. And if we need to advocate, if there's something that needs to be advocated for, it needs to be that. That, yes, we know right and wrong. Yes, we see what God has done. But we still have to walk with those people that are struggling, whatever that might be. That's the same thing for someone struggling with suicide or someone struggling with anger or somebody struggling with same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria. It's okay to be broken. We're all broken. 
It's not okay for the church to just have answers of what's right and wrong and not walk with people who are hurting. I'm going to close up right there. There's more to be said about this, and maybe we'll do it in the next episode. But for right now, hear this. No matter what is broken inside of you, we share that pain. We all have brokenness inside of us. And the answer to that is the gospel, that there is a God who loves us and desires to heal that internal brokenness. More to come on that. But for right now, let me just say this. If you hear something here that you have questions about, feel free to email me at questions at generations.email. If you have other Bible questions, please email us at questions at generations.email. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you like what we're doing, leave us a review or share it with others. Like it, subscribe on however you know, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Share this with others. Leave us a review. Let others know uh, that we're talking about hard questions, that these questions that are asked by our young people often never get answered, and we want to do that. So if you're listening right now, thank you for listening. I appreciate you. Rob and I will be back with a new episode. We drop episodes every Tuesday. Thank you. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.